Hold up, hold up. Folks, we've got some exciting news for you right now, right here on Sleep Tech Talk. Want to let you know that we are looking for 2023's Person of the Year. That's right, Sleep Tech Talk's 2023 Person of the Year. How are we going to do that? Well, listen up. Every Any guest that's been on the show so far, and any guest that's going to be on our show for this year, 2023, are all nominees or all candidates for this recognition. And how you can help is by listening and or viewing that specific episode. We're going to be counting the number of plays for each episode, or we're going to be counting the number of listens for each episode and taking that into consideration. If you have anybody that you think should be a candidate, let us know. And we will see what we can do to get them on board as a nominee. At the same time, we need your help to make this happen, to select that person of the year. Along the way, we hope to introduce some other awards as well. But in the, in the meanwhile, do everybody a favor, do us a favor, and listen in to your favorite guest. So by early next year, 2024, we'll be announcing the winners. Now back to the show. All right, folks, a quick message before we get started from our sponsors, React Health. React Health, formerly 3B Medical, a leading provider of sleep, sleep diagnostic, and respiratory products. A brief message from our sponsor, MedBridge Healthcare. For job opportunities with MedBridge Healthcare, please visit medbridgehealthcare.com forward slash careers. Once again, that's medbridgehealthcare.com forward slash careers. Now on to the show. Oh, lights out. <laughs> Welcome everyone once again to another episode of Sleep Tech Talk, your sleep podcast with your hosts and friends, Robert Miller with the lights out. Yep. Emerson Kerr and me, Dr. Gerald George Moneycroat. Hey folks, we've got another fantastic episode as we always bring you today but before we do that we just want to remind you please do not forget to rate the show do not forget to leave some comments it really really helps us out and it also helps out other people to find it and most importantly subscribe and to share with that being said robert what's going on today hey i am awake now i you know I, i'm not sure anything after 5 p.m eastern standard time I, I make no promises about the quality of recording by the way so uh, uh Thank you, uh, Jerry. We have with us today, Dr. Ed Messerhain. He is with uh, a company called Monetary. He's a sleep specialist in, uh, based out of Florida. And uh, I'm super excited about having him join us today because uh, his specialty really is sort of understanding this world of remote patient monitoring, how um, a physician practice can, uh, can uh, get into remote patient monitoring, how they can monetize remote patient monitoring. And and even the platform of their company and how uh, the platform can be uh, super super helpful and and really uh, establish that that service line for a practice that might be in the market for uh, adding remote patient monitoring to their service. So, Dr. Mazurhain, welcome to the show today. If you would uh, just tell us a little bit about yourself, but then if you don't mind, sort of telling us how you got this idea of creating Monetaire and and uh, a little bit about the company, the service, and and. Teach us about remote patient monitoring today. Sure. Thank you, gentlemen, for allowing me to join with you today. And I really appreciate this conversation that we're going to have. You know, this is a, a sort of a passion project of mine. 
Um, Robert, as you mentioned, Dr. Ed Mezrain, I'm a board certified sleep specialist practicing out of Miami, Florida. Been uh, practicing in sleep now for 10 years. And this uh, idea was born out of some of the frustrations I was seeing in my own practice back in 2019. And uh, noticed that the kind of continuity of care that we were offering to the patients, the model was disjointed, right? So typically I diagnose somebody, let's say with sleep apnea or prescribe them an airway therapy device. Let's say it's a CPAP device. And I would see you and follow up. And all the behavioral changes that needed to happen, I was already behind the eight ball, all the um, issues with either the wrong mask, the wrong pressure settings, intolerance to the therapy. I was already behind the eight ball when I saw the patient and trying to correct the behavior, trying to correct the issues that were happening two months afterwards was just impossible, right? And so when we started looking at intervening with these patients kind of in a more proactive manner, realized, well, that's doable and it works, but it's very labor intensive. And we really had no way of monitoring the data. So we knew what we knew, right? You showed up in my office, I would see you, I'd download your data, I'd see your data, but if you never showed up and if you weren't in my office, I wasn't really looking at your data. So here we are, we're sitting with all these data sets, right? From these uh, PAP manufacturer devices on the cloud platform, but the data is not coming to me. And at the same time, my staff and myself and my other providers in the practice are dealing with the issues that we all, I think, as sleep providers and sleep techs and sleep technologists and, and respiratory therapists are dealing with, which is how do we take care of the patient between now and the next time we see them in the office, right? So that we get them compliant, we get them to therapy, we get them to, to succeed with the therapy. And so, well, that came at a cost, right? And so, meaning I need to have staff to be able to do that, right? And so when remote patient monitoring came about as a separately billable service in 2017 and then really got implemented in 2018, I realized that all my cardiology colleagues were doing this. They were doing this in arrhythmia management. They were doing this in blood pressure management. Yet here we are sitting on all these data sets, albeit I think even better than some of the cardiology data sets, and we're doing nothing with it, right? So the idea of remote patient monitoring, which falls under the chronic care management umbrella, which falls under the telehealth umbrella, Right. Uh, and when CMS said, look, there's a lot of data sets out there and they're separately actionable and they're separately identifiable. And you can intervene on these data sets in between now and your next visit face to face with that patient. I realized that we can do this in sleep and we weren't. Right. And so it was hard to have sort of a resource heavy or resource intensive program in the office and not get reimbursed for the service. But at the same time, it was the best way to get patients to um, to to succeed and to be uh, successful with their, with their PAP device. And so when I started looking at remote patient monitoring programs back in 2019, I realized quickly that there was really nothing dedicated for sleep. And so uh, we quickly realized not only that, but that this issue that I was having, a lot of my colleagues around the country were also having. And I think patients uh, now that are on PAP therapy need this, right? Because the, the diagnosis here is only going to increase, right? And the diagnosis, I believe, is only going to become easier, right? So as I look at 10 years from now, and right, and what's happened with my practice over the last 10 years with the advent of home sleep apnea testing being more and more used, and now I think kind of, uh, you know, these uh, either wearables or nearables and these devices that are now getting FDA-approved algorithms, right, patients are going to walk in diagnosed. So what's going to be the value in somebody like myself and somebody like my practice in the next 10 or 15, 20 years is going to be, how do I manage that data? And we didn't have a good way of doing that. And so 
we 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 founded and funded uh, Monetair, right, uh, which came to be in, uh, as a as a company in 2020. And what we set out to do was create a SaaS platform where we can bring in the data sets from the different PAP manufacturers and present that to the page, uh, to the providers and to the staff to be able to manage their patients remotely, right, and meet all the CMS requirements that are needed to satisfy the compliance and regulatory uh, measures needed uh, to build for remote patient monitoring. Right. That, that was actually one of the questions I was going to ask you, because there is some very specific criteria related to um, the, the amount of time you have to work with a patient, but also the type of equipment um, that has to be used in a home. It, can you give us some details on that? Yeah, absolutely. So there, there are four separately identifiable remote patient monitoring codes, right? Uh, two of them are related to the actual fact that that device, and we'll get a little bit into the specifics of what a device means, um, is actually transmitting data sets that I can access and I can manage and I can make treatment recommendations on. And then there's two codes that are specifically related to what I do with the data received and my treatment management and my care management recommendations based on that, right? So there's a few things that we have to consider for a remote patient monitor, right? The first thing is the patient needs to be seen by a billing and treating provider, right? So these codes fall under evaluation and management service codes. These are not codes that are billable under DME uh, services or DME providers. So this is something that the, the, the healthcare provider would be doing. Uh, one. Two is the patient gets diagnosed with a chronic condition. The patient um, then is placed on an FDA-approved device that transmits physiologic uh, data sets to the provider, and it does so in a remote and in a daily fashion, and there's programmed alerts to allow the provider, again, to interact with the patient, and, and then, based on the time spent, be able to bill for the services provided on the data received. And so, um, the patient consents for the service, right? So it's not like I can just put everybody on this, right? I have to talk to my patient about why we're doing RPM, what is the treatment goal, what are we trying to achieve? And then the patient uh, can then enroll in a remote patient monitoring program, right? Uh, for the purposes of this, again, the data has to be physiologic. So the fact that my patient put on their CPAP device uh, for five hours, or the fact that my patient took off their mask twice, these are really mechanical data sets. They're not really physiologic, right? So when we look at, at, at sleep specific or sleep therapy data, we're considering as far as physiologic, the AHI, the apnea hypopnea index, we're considering the respiratory rate, and in some of the non-invasive um, pressure or ventilation devices, we're looking at, uh, at um, tidal volumes, and we're looking at IE ratios, right? These are physiologic parameters. These are parameters that me and you may have, even though everybody has, right? Even though they may not have the condition, right? So everybody's got a respiratory rate, everybody's got, got an AHI, everybody has these parameters, right? And they give you insight into somebody's respiratory physiology, right? In the case of what we're doing, it's respiratory, right? Um, and so once I receive those data sets, right, I can then time track the time. And so you mentioned there is a time criteria, and that's actually 20 minutes, right? And that's on a, a calendar month basis. And that that basically does not roll over. So I can't do 10 minutes this month. And then the month of August, I do 15 minutes and I combine the 25 minutes and all of a sudden I did 25 minutes of service time, right? And it is on a calendar month basis. There are no rollover minutes. So if I spend at least 20 minutes of time with that patient, uh, allowing for care management, a data set review, communicating with the patient, all that gets grouped together. And, and, and what's important is, is that it's not only just my time, it's also my clinical staff's time under my general supervision, right? So anybody that's part of the clinical care team for that patient, be it a sleep coach, be it an RPSGT, RST, RRT, CRT, what, whatever it is, right? 
that clinical care team can provide services remotely, whether it's reviewing the data, changing the mask, changing a pressure range, lowering a pressure range, considering another alternative airway therapy, all that. And if you document what your services and what you're doing with the treatment plan for that patient on a monthly basis, you can bill for the services provider. And then that goes on month to month. If a patient's going to stay on a remote patient monitoring program for more than a year of time, they need to have been seen again by the treatment provider and documentation of ongoing care and ongoing condition and ongoing need for the device and for the services of RPM. Doc, that is a robust plan without a doubt. Yeah. You know, when you look at some of the research from Terry Weaver and Mark Aloya, you know, they talk about that a patient's, you know, window of opportunity is five to 10 days, depending on which one of their studies you look at. When you think about what you're doing with RPM and knowing that window is really so tight of, of really landing that, that the inertia that's needed for success, what are you seeing and, and how has RPM really affected that? Because that tends to be that missing no man's land, you know, after they're diagnosed and they start treatment. By the time we have the conversation with them, well, we're past that, even the 10 day mark often. Yep. What, how are you seeing that RPM has really helped with that, that start up that first impression for the patient? Yeah, look, I, I think Emerson, you're, you're absolutely correct, right? We know that that first night compliance, that second night compliance, that seven day compliance, right, really predicts you a year, five years, and even 10 years down the line, right? And so what, what I was realizing is we're being very retroactive and not really proactive, right? Right? Because I'm in the office, I'm already seeing 20, 25 patients today. I, I really don't have time to sit down and look at, you know, thousands of patients on, 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 a, on a cloud platform, right? And so the idea is, is that we're bringing in the patients that we think actually need it, right? So when I look at who's the appropriate patient for this, right, it's treatment naive, right? So if this, this is the first time you've seen a CPAP, by definition, you're at risk for failure, right? Or anybody who's failed therapy, but wants to salvage and wants to get on, right? So with these patients, it's critical that the behavior is correct day one, day two, day 10, as day five, as you mentioned, right? Because we know that that's going to be an early predictor of success five, 10 years down the line, right? So with remote patient monitoring, we can very quickly, right, through our staff that's really dedicated to doing this, right, very quickly see these data sets, right? We also risk stratify the patients, right? So when somebody's dropping from a worse, from a better risk category to a worsened risk category, we get alerts to that, right? And we can quickly triage the patient, we can send them a text message, we can have a phone conference with them. We can have a video conference with them. What's going on? Let me see. No, Bob, you're putting on your mask wrong, right? That's the problem here, right? You don't have it tight enough. You have it on too tight. No, it's not the right pillow size. You know, it, it, all these things that, you know, by the time Bob comes to see me two months later, I've lost my audience, right? So how do you capture the audience? Well, one, you have to be on top of them. You have to be watching them. You have to be seeing them. And that's what remote patient monitoring has allowed us to do. And, 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 and separately from that, right? We know not everybody's going to, be on a PAP device, right? So it's allows us to identify who maybe needs a BiPAP device for tolerance, who needs uh, hypoglossus nerve stimulation therapy, because we really already tried and we have good documentation of, we did this on this day, we did this on that day, we did this on that day. So by the time the patient comes to see me, or even before he comes to see me two months later, we already had the discussion of, hey, you know, have you heard of hypoglossus nerve stimulation therapy? Have you heard of um, an oral appliance, right? Is this the appropriate therapy for you, right? The, the idea is treat patients, and get them to a therapy that they're going to be successful with, right? By any means necessary. And so we're being a lot quicker to that. We're being a lot more proactive to that. And, and the idea is to engage the patient, right? And so if you can't capture your audience, you lose your audience, right? And so 
I think it's a very valid uh, question that you bring up and, 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 and absolutely, right? It's helped to close that gap that we had of, I see you today, I put you on a device and good luck. I'll see you in two months and hopefully you come in and everything's going to be peachy. And if it is, it goes very easy. And if it doesn't, you know, it, it's hard to then have the conversation. So what patients are getting is they're getting five, 10 text message interactions a month. They're getting one or two video conferences a month, right? So when you have that, that, that engagement, it typically um, increases success, right? And that's the idea. So, Doc, this is fascinating how you're talking about it. Like Emerson said, it's extremely robust. Now, earlier you mentioned the use of your your other staff in 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 the process, and right now you just you just spoke about the number of touches that each patient gets when they're in this program. So, could you talk a little bit more about the auxiliary staff that you that you're using, particularly uh, like sleep techs and and uh, sleep educators? Would love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And so, and so, you know, while CMS defines that any clinical staff member, right. And of course, state to state, there may be some legal uh, differences as to what can qualify as a clinical staff. CMS just generally says any clinical staff member of the team under the general supervision of the ordering and treating and billing provider can provide the time and the treatment uh, of this, right. I find that the best staff member to do this is somebody who has a wide based knowledge on sleep, right? So while in some states you can consider using maybe a medical assistant from your practice, the recommendation and what we find to be best and a lot of our clients are using is really either a CCHS and RPSGT because they understand that if the leak is high, well, you know, what does that translate to in terms of an unknown AHI, right? Or an unknown AI, right? The chain stokes and, um, or periodic breathing index just went up, right? They understand that very well, where a medical system may not. So it, it, it sort of sits that they're the most appropriate uh, person. And so in my own office, we, we use one of our PSGTs uh, that was a scoring technician, and we carved out some time for them to do this. And then, you know, it, it's a good service for the patients. And obviously, you know, it's something that we're able to also get reimbursed for, right? So it, it helps the whole um, sort of ecosystem in terms of, Patients are, are, are more successful with therapy. The practice is able to, um, you know, regenerate, uh, sorry, regenerate, <laughs> um, generate revenues for this service. And, um, and um, again, keep the ecosystem healthy. Well, and speaking of the ecosystem, you know, the, I know that the purpose of remote patient monitoring is not to let the home care companies off the hook as it relates to um, monitoring adherence and, and, having their sleep coaches, you know, engage with the patient. So it, it, to me, this is almost monetizing some of the activity that you would have to do in your general practice anyway, uh, to be able to manage your patient. It's just a, a means to, uh, to be able to cover the cost of what you typically would have to bake into your, your office visits or, um, you know, other things related to overhead of running a, a physician practice. So, um, how have you been able to collaborate a little bit more closely with, with home care companies um, out of your practice now that you're doing this remote patient monitoring and have you seen adherence uh, numbers um, you know, take off? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think it's a very valid point, right? I mean, the, the first when we first started doing this, right, the first reactions we got from the DME companies were, well, if you're going to be tracking compliance, then that means we don't have to be. And I said, no, 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 <laughs> that's not the point here. The point here is now there's two interested parties in getting our patients compliant, right? 
there's the DME, which is interested in making sure the patient's complying and making sure that as the patient's complying, they're getting the resupplies and the refills, right? And then there's us on the provider side, making sure that we're interested in getting our patients compliant, but also being able to monetize the remote patient monitoring, right? So if both teams are working together and synergistically to do this, right? The idea is, as you mentioned, what did it do for compliance, right? And I can tell you that anecdotally, we looked at some internal data and, and we've compared patients that are uh, compliant, sorry, that, that, that have been offered the service and enroll in remote patient monitoring versus those that are offered the service and just go on standard of care model. And, and we've seen uh, rates of seven to 10% increase in compliance rates uh, with those that were enrolled in remote patient monitoring, right? And so, well, you know, some may say, well, that's not that huge of a number, but, but you know, when we're talking about sort of a, a disease state that's maybe 15, 16, maybe even 20% of the population, and you're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of patients getting diagnosed and getting on PAP therapy on, on a monthly basis, you know, seven, 10% means a lot, right? And so that means a lot for obviously the patient, for the hospital system, getting patients, uh, you know, stay off of therapy. I'm sorry, getting patients on therapy means they stay out of the hospital, right? They're on therapy means you're, they're getting the resupplies from you. The health insurance is keeping the patient healthy. And overall that drives keeping costs down, down the line, right? But, but, but it's, it's creating the notion that this paradigm shift in how we provide care, while it may have an upfront cost later on, that cost analysis is going to be, and that cost effectiveness is going to be shown. And that's really where the future is in this, right? How do we Few things. Can we can we learn to predict who's going to fail therapy before they start therapy? Right. So is it the guy who's asymptomatic and is 50 plus and doesn't have a bed partner and you know whatever that that may be, right? Uh, and also looking at the sleep data, can we predict who's going to have an exacerbation of their cardiac, neurovascular, pulmonary comorbidity as we're watching it happen from the sleep data, right? So if I'm seeing a 10% decrease on an overlap syndrome patient with OSA and COPD, if I saw a 10% increase in their respiratory rate and a 10% decrease in their tidal volume, is something happening here, right? If a patient who has AFib uh, and has paroxysmal AFib and they're out of AFib and all of a sudden I see that their chain stokes went up from two minutes to 25 minutes, right? And this has happened now persistently over the last three days. What does that mean, right? And 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 then being able to intervene on that a lot quicker, right? And that's the real goal of this, and that's where we really have to drive this, right? To show effectiveness, but also show by treating the sleep disorder appropriately, what does that mean systemically in terms of the organism of the patient, right? In terms of their heart, their lungs, their brain, the whole system, right? The whole axis, not just their sleep apnea, right? And that's, I really think the future in the next five or 10 years, when we look at this, right, is can the system help predict who's going to fail and can the help, and can the system help predict, hey, you know, this is what it means to the guy's heart, this is what it means to the guy's neurovascular state. Hey, uh, Doc, so curious, now, obviously it sounds like a very, very robust program and uh, I love the way you've integrated all different parts of, of, the, of the clinic into this. Uh, do you get any denials, any specific payers that are like, hey, this this is not working. We're not going to pay for this. Yeah. So very, very interesting point. Right. So when the program rolled out, like anything, right, CMS typically is the one that says, oh, these are the codes. This is how we're going to approve them. This is how we're going to pay for them and whatnot. We're seeing typically CMS and and um, and that includes Medicaid. Um, 
is reimbursing for the services, right? We don't see typically denials in those cases. Uh, Medicare Advantage plans are very regional, are very uh, specific, but for the most part, we've had also success with um, Medicare Advantage plans. Of course, any sort of co-insurance or co-deductible, the patient uh, does apply to the patient. So that's something to discuss at the time of consent and to give advance notice to the patient. And the commercial payers, um, actually, they do pay, right? Uh, we have seen, and most recently, Cigna came out with their updates now and to their RPM policies, right, which was really their, their first RPM policy. And they actually came out and said uh, in May of this year, just two months ago, that they're only going to be covering RPM in um, COPD, heart failure, and diabetes, right? And so everything else that's either arrhythmia, blood pressure, sleep apnea is actually not going to be covered, right? And the reason they said is because we don't have cost analysis data that actually it improves adherence and that it, it, it helps uh, drive down costs in the future, right? So they said they'd be willing to re-willing, uh, you know, kind of periodically to reevaluate that as the data uh, becomes available. And so that's really where I think the next step in this is us being able to show that with these programs and with the data sets that we have and with the act interactions, the behavior modifications, that we are able to drive compliance and we are able to then show some of the cost analysis and, you know, Resmit has some of this data and and, and some of the other um, providers, Emerson, that you mentioned, have a lot of these data. If I can increase compliance by 7% or 9% or whatever that is, well, that means this to hospitalizations, that means this to heart failure readmission, that means this to COPD, 30-day readmission, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's really where we have to go with this. Well, Doc, but, but to answer your question, you know, reimbursement is uh, is seen pretty much across the board. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I was just going to say those those numbers, you said it may sound small, 7 to 10%, but that's like stock market or, you know, that kind of growth. That's, that's, that's big, actually. But as much as I really want us, and we all three of us, I would want to continue the conversation. We're out of time. Is there anything that you uh, you'd like to touch on that we haven't had to touch, uh, we hadn't had a chance to talk about yet? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you know, uh, as as Robert had mentioned, right? When when providers hear about this, right, the the story of not only monetary is not really a story of, of, of the company, right? It's the story of remote patient monitoring, right? And, and you know, we probably talked about this uh, th throughout the show, but the idea is, is that there has to be a paradigm shift in how we offer care. There's going to be more diagnosis of this condition. And us as sleep providers, we're really going to be left with chronic care management. We're going to be left with data management. How do we monitor these patients? How do we take care of these patients going forward? How do we take care of them longitudinally? How do we take care of them with a high touch program that ensures that they're successful? And not only that, but once they're successful, they stay on there because we have many patients that they were fine. And you say, Bob, what happened? Oh, I went on a trip and I didn't, I didn't put on my device and I was fine. So I, that was five months ago. I haven't used it in five months. He said, but that's not how that works, right? So, so being able to have maybe an intermediate touch point here and there, right? And that's one of the things we now allow with the program where you can see somebody every three months or every six months, not maybe every month. You got them to compliance, but if they're doing well, you don't have to maybe wait a year, right? You can see them in three months or you can see them in six months and just have a checkpoint, right? To make sure they're compliant, right? And so going forward, that's really gonna be the key to, to managing these patients with sleep therapy, right? There's not enough of us as sleep providers, there's not enough of sleep technologists and, and sleep care teams. And, and there's just gotta be ways for us to be able to manage the immensity of data that's out there with, with, with these devices and, and really be able to track these patients longitudinally in a high-touch fashion. Oh, I'm sorry, in a high-touch fashion. 
Doc, thank you so much. Uh, that's been, it's been fantastic. And it's really been a pleasure talking to you. We've learned so much in such a short amount of time. Appreciate you coming on board. All right, folks, a quick message from our sponsors, React Health. React Health, formerly 3B Medical, a leading provider of sleep, sleep diagnostic, and respiratory products. A brief message from our sponsor, MedBridge Healthcare. For job opportunities with MedBridge Healthcare, please visit medbridgehealthcare.com forward slash careers. Once again, that's medbridgehealthcare.com forward slash careers. Now on to the show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And folks, thank you all so much for joining us today on, on this show. Once again, do not forget to rate the show. Do not forget to uh, subscribe. And most importantly, don't forget to share this with all your friends. And until next time, we say lights on. <laughs>